welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 248. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. On this week's show, crazy-ass relationships. Dating sure is weird, isn't it? It's like watching the Spanish channel on TV. You only pick up like every fifth or sixth word they're saying, but Dios mio, the boobs. I've been dating this really cute homeless girl lately, and I think it's getting pretty serious. She just asked me to move out with her. Relationships just compound the inherent weirdness in all of us. So often conflicts arise simply from us being peculiar-ass motherfuckers and not understanding each other in the slightest. For example, remember that one time on Mari when that exasperated black woman was all totally pissed at her boyfriend because he, like, totally let her down? Oh no, she didn't. Of course you do. It was epic. Just like this week's Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, a totally fun little project for you whenever you get a dip in the day. Try writing one yourself and send it into submissions at drabblecast.org or post it in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Your story will get some good feedback and possibly even be snagged up for production in an upcoming show. This week's Drabble is called First Date and it comes to us from Andrew Morgan. Andrew is a makeup artist that lives and works in Ottawa, Ontario. Up until now, his literary oeuvre could be found exclusively in his Facebook status updates, but thanks to the Drabblecast, he can finally say he's published. Or rather, at least, heard. True, he hadn't said too much all night. And yes, he basically looked like all her old dead weights, granted. And to make matters worse, he was a little too hung up on the church for her liking. But she supposed concessions had to be made, because in this day and age, it was becoming impossible to find that special someone. Her updo squirmed uncomfortably, restless and unnerved by this evening's awkward small talk. She smiled nervously while tucking a stray cobra behind her ear, and secretly wondered if this gargoyle even had a car. Nice one. Tuck back that cobra. You really don't want the snakes popping out on the first date. I think the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting me to date her. And that brings us to our feature story this week, Cockroach Hat by Terry Bisson. Terry was born in Madisonville, Kentucky, and currently lives in Oakland, California. He published his first ever Burke in 1981, and has been a full-time working science fiction writer ever since. His various works have appeared in, amongst many other places, including the Drabblecast, Asimov's, Omni, Fantasy and Science Fiction, Infinite Matrix, and Playboy, and it's won him a Nebula, Hugo, Phoenix, and Theodore Sturgeon Award. The story is read to you by Preston Buttons and the Word Whore of Air Out My Shorts. Air Out My Shorts is a hilarious free-form pod show where Preston and the Word Whore clumsily narrate their way through submitted works of short fiction, often absent-mindedly and always drunkenly. So yeah, it's pretty adult. If you're not into the occasional offensive and challenging material, I'm not sure how you found our podcast. They're doing a special raffle for an event I'll tell you about after the show. Stick around to find out more. So without further ado... The Cockroach Hat by Terry Bisson.
Sam Gregory woke up one morning and found, to his dismay, that he had turned into a big cockroach. Oh no, he thought. He had some idea of what was happening because of the Kafka story. He hadn't exactly read it, but he had heard all about it back when he was in college. Sam's roommate, Cliff with an E, had taken a course called Shapeshifters in Modern Lit, thinking it would be an easy A, like the video games he played in the student union, taking on all comers, or eco-alternatives. Instead, it required a paper, and Cliff felt betrayed. Sam said I told you so, the wrong thing to say, and Cliff suggested he shut the fuck up. That only made things worse, and soon they weren't speaking at all. Several times, they almost came to blows. Instead, they became the best of friends. Here's how it happened. Cliff's girlfriend was a conflict resolution major, and she suggested they go bowling blindfolded. Neither of them bowled in an effort to change the subject through creative misdirection while she monitored the experiment for credit. They even rented the shoes. It might have worked too, but she didn't know how to keep score. Plus, they had forgotten the blindfolds, so they played the pinball machine instead. There was just one between the men's and the ladies, a leftover from some previous universe of bells and flippers. What I don't like about it, said Cliff, is that it's just a metaphor instead of something real. What if it was real, I, Sam, asked. What if it was me, and I actually turned into a cockroach someday? Then I would do everything I could to help you out, said Cliff. I was to remember that promise later when I actually turned into a cockroach. Meanwhile, Cliff's girlfriend, who I will call Anna, tagging along to monitor the experiment, was pleased with the results so far. She was cute. Not as cute as some, but cuter than others, and I immediately fell in love with her. It made me angry how Cliff always criticized her for everything, and I told her so. We were sort of a threesome. She was dying of a disease and told me so. Cliff already knew. She only had a year to live. We both felt sorry for her, me sorrier, but it was Cliff who died. This happened unexpectedly one afternoon. It was time to make a new start, so Anna and I moved to Park Slope in Brooklyn. We pretended we were married and even got a baby carriage. We rolled up a towel and a blanket and pretended it was a baby and rolled it around the streets and sidewalks. Then we discovered it really was a baby. I say we, but Anna had known all along. It was crying like crazy. Luckily by then we had a house. Now this had to happen. Here I was, a big cockroach. I tried to think of what to do. The bedroom door was shut, but I knew that sooner or later Anna would come in and see me, flat on my back with six legs in the air. I had to figure out a way to communicate with her and let her know what was what before she freaked out. I was still figuring when the door opened and she came in and immediately started screaming. I could see she wasn't going to be much help, so I scurried under the bed as fast as lightning, cockroach style. Meanwhile, she ran out of the room to get a broom, I figured, or something to kill me with. I was on my own. That was when I remembered Cliff's promise and wished he was still alive. But if wishes were pennies, we'd all be rich. I scurried through the walls and out of the house, making quick work of the front steps. Here on the streets of Brooklyn, I was less noticeable. Fast moving, too. It was raining, 
And after lots of adventures, which involved things like making a boat out of a leaf and riding on a roller skate like it was a bus, I made my way to Gowanus Canal. I had a plan. I knew that with all the renovations in Brooklyn, all the writers had ended up in one building, an old warehouse that wasn't hard to find. There were their names on the mailbox. Oster, Letham, Whitehead, etc., and a bunch of unknowns. This is not how you spell metaphor, they said when I explained what had happened by walking through ink on scrap paper. I had spelled it with an F. I met with them all separately, and together as well, but they were no help. Plus, the canal smelled good, and I was beginning to face facts. The cockroach thing was for real. I ate some paper. It was almost noon. I had to figure out a way to call in sick at least. Then I might at least still have my job when things got straightened out. I walked in a circle, thinking. Then I met this old Jew. It was in the park. He almost stepped on me. Then he picked me up and put me on the cuff of his shirt and started talking to me. It was in Hebrew, but that was the least of my problems. His children had all died of this and that, and he was fond of me. It turned out he was even older than he looked and knew lots of secrets many of them cabalistic. He took out his pencil and outlined a quest that would return me to normal. I was off! It took all day and involved more things like leaf boats and jumping onto the back of a pigeon and running like a dragon. I got to know the sewers too. I wish I had six little shoes, but never mind. It worked and by mid-afternoon I was normal. That is, human and full-sized. I was in the Bronx, but I made it home and knocked on the door at precisely 5 p.m. To my surprise, it was unlocked and swung open on its own. There was Anna, with another lover, both of them new. I thought you had turned into a cockroach. It must have been your imagination, I said. I didn't want to get into it especially in front of this other dude who was pulling on his pants. If you were thinking I was devastated, you're right. But at least I was no longer a cockroach. I looked in the mirror to make sure. I'd had nothing to eat all day but paper, so I fixed a bowl of Cheerios while Anna got rid of her lover, who it turned out she hardly knew. Maybe we can make a new start, said Anna, pulling on her panties and replacing the barrettes in her hair. That was okay by me, I told her and we were just about to watch TV when we heard the baby crying like crazy. We had forgotten all about it. Well, it had turned into a cockroach too. There it was, with six tiny legs waving about, and I could see why Anna had screamed so on seeing me. I looked at her. She looked at me. I knew what she was thinking. We had neither of us wanted this baby, and now it was a cockroach. She was just about to step on it when the phone rang. It was her father, the doctor. Your year is up, he said. Was our happiness about to come to an end? She had agreed as part of a medical experiment to come into his office after a year and be killed. It wasn't a disease at all. My father pressured me into it, she told me. I'll go with you, I said. I felt sorry for her. Plus, I had a plan. I got a gun out of the box of them I had won in the lottery and stuck it into my belt. My plan was to kill him before he killed her. What's with the gun? She asked and I told her. 
You'll need an alibi, she said mysteriously. Her father's office was also near the Goanus Canal, so I found myself retracing my steps, following her. It didn't smell so sweet this time. It turned out Anna had a plan as well. On the way, she showed me the items in her purse. A huge pair of scissors and a weird thing. What's this thing? I asked. It's a cockroach hat. She showed me how it worked. When she put it on, she looked exactly like a cockroach, six legs and all. I tried it on myself. We were passing a health food store and I saw myself reflected in the plate glass window. It worked. She had made it herself out of stuff around the house. You gave me the idea, she said. I thought it might come in handy. Indeed it did. Before you kill me, she told her father, I want you to try on this hat. I made it myself. Like a fool he did. I shot him and she cut him up with the scissors, careful to leave the hat on his head. When the police came, they were puzzled, but we still had an alibi. He looked to us like a big cockroach, said Anna. We believe you, said the police. I love you, she said to me, Sam. But that came later. Finally, they let us go, and we walked home hand in hand, along the canal part of the way, holding our noses comically. It was a beautiful spring night in Brooklyn, and I had learned a thing or two about love. It was time to make a new start. We quickened our steps. We had forgotten to step on the baby. Making that scene Making that love scene Got to be seen Making that love scene A spot for two On stage with you Making make-believe come true that song. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. In the figurative sense, I think the story is about knowing yourself first before plunging into a relationship, with first-degree manslaughter tagged onto it. In the literal sense, I think it's about relationships being a two-way street, one that's always navigated by women, annoyingly from the back seat, because the man refuses to use a map. Oh no, she didn't. So here's that promo for the raffle that the word whore is doing from Air Out My Shorts. If I could tell the world just one thing, it would be that we're all okay. And not to worry because worry is wasteful and useless in times like these. I will not be made useless. We are raffling off an original painting by our very own The Word Whore. This draw will take place at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday, September 17, 2012. Not only is this a chance to own an original work of art, it is a chance to help right an unfortunate wrong. 
100% of the proceeds will go directly towards paying off the mountainous debts incurred as a result of the injuries the word horse sustained to her right hand last June. Only $25 per ticket. Visit airoutmyshorts.com today. Good luck. That's airoutmyshorts.com. Thank you. My hands are small, I know, but they're not yours. They are my own, but they're not yours. They are my own. So basically last year, Word Whore, who's a figurative artist for a living, had her hand completely pulverized in a gruesome accident. A heavy chair gave out at a restaurant. She passed out with her hand pinned under the chair, woke up in a hospital with it broken in 14 different places. She's gained some limited use of her hand back, but the restaurant was found not at fault, so she's got to pay out of pocket. Obviously, healthcare is pretty expensive in this country. If you're a fan of Air Out My Shorts, a great show. Or if you just think that 25 bucks for a kick-ass painting sounds like a pretty good deal, check out theitspot.com for details on the raffle. And I guess now's as good a time as any to remind you that the Drabblecast, in fact, relies on your support as well to bring you stories each week. If you're a fan of our show, chuck us a donation. Help us pay authors for their work and all the other stuff that goes into making this show. Hit up Drabblecast.org and click a donation option. We very much appreciate it. Moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, Troy St. James, with this one. Four of the subjects died only a few days after being exposed to the virus. The last was immune, so I had to kill him myself. Yikes, didn't see that one coming. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Give it a shot. Post it in the Twabble section of our discussion forums linked off Drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. Otherwise, you can just follow us on Twitter and get stories early each week. Our Twitter feed is at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Greg Cravens. Greg draws more cartoons than it would be wise to shake a stick at. His current favorite is hubriscomics.com, but more people like the buckets at gocomics.com. Try checking both out. So, our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, Managing Editor, our Submissions Editor, Nathan Lee, Editor-at-Large, Matthew Bay, our Art Director, Bo Kyer, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you, of course, to step on the baby. Baby.